Welcome to our podcast. We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. As a church, we're currently working through the book of Romans. If you would like to watch the live video from this episode, head over to VintageCityChurch.tv and we hope you enjoy this message. I remember growing up, we used to sing this song, um, Surely the Presence of the Lord is in this place. I can hear the brush of angels' wings at there's this sense of, there are times when you can just sense when heaven begins to invade. I both love and hate it because it always alters my teaching. So I have a message, but this isn't it. I feel like we're supposed to stick around this idea of fear and look at it for a moment. In Romans chapter 11, um, I really did think the other teaching was good. It'll be online. Um, chapter 11, verse two, Paul's asking a question about did, did God reject Israel, his people? Um, and his response in verse two is no, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. And then he adjusts and he says, do you remember what the scriptures say about this. Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel. Did you know, by the way, the only place you can complain legally is to God? It's the only safe place to do that. Outside of that realm, it's partnering with a spirit of criticism. Just a thought. He said, do you remember what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they've killed your prophets, torn down your altars. I alone am left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, you are not the only one left. I have 7,000 others who have never bowed down to Baal. Turn with me if you have your Bibles to 1 Kings. Chapter 19. I'm going to do my best to try to figure out what the Lord's saying, put it all together in a way that makes a reasonable amount of sense. If my grandmother was still alive, I would ask her to pray for me. Verse 1 says, When Ahab got home, He told Jezebel what Elijah had done and that he had slaughtered the prophets of Baal. If you don't know where we're at, we're in a time period in Israel where Ahab, um, wicked king, has a wife who's more wicked than him. Her name is Jezebel. Uh, She's, I think she has a demon. Um, She seems to be greatly used by the enemy. It's interesting that the king reports to her instead of her reporting to the king, as which would be the normal chain of command in this time period, which we don't have time to dive into. But what I want to look at is her statement. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods also kill me if by this time tomorrow I have failed to take your life. 
like those whom you killed. So Elijah has just done something in the name of the Lord for the Lord. He's had uh, what we would call a massive spiritual triumph. There's these prophets of Baal who are against God. They've set themselves up against Yahweh. They've set themselves up in such a way that they're, they're working to, dis, to persuade the people of Israel to follow uh, the enemy. It's follow, follow the, a demonic God. So Elijah makes a stand and ends up slaughtering them. And she makes this statement to him, and I want you to watch his response. So Elijah was afraid, and he fled for his life. So here we have Elijah and fear all over him. And he goes to Beersheba, a town in Judah. And he left his servant there. And then he went, along, he went alone into the desert, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he, and he prayed this incredible revival prayer, I've had enough, take my life, Lord, I'm no better than my ancestors. It's not a revival prayer, it was a joke. And then he laid down and slept under the broom tree, and when he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. So he looked around and saw some bread baked on a hot stone and a jar of water, and so he ate and drank and lay down again. And then the angel of the Lord came again, touched him and said, get up, eat some more, for there is a long journey ahead of you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, what are you doing here? And Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenants with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And the voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you and torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I alone am left and now they're trying to kill me too. And then the Lord said to him, go back the way you came, travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And then anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, the place where to replace you as my prophet. Anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed to Baal or kissed him. The context of this story is, um, here's Elijah having this major breakthrough moment spiritually. And then in the natural, he encounters difficulty. He encounters conflict. He encounters criticism. She says she wants to kill him. So here we have this moment where, and a lot of us could relate, we've maybe come through a massive breakthrough, a good spiritual moment, and the first thing that happens on the other side of that is difficulty. 
It's almost like instantly we're faced with something. And fear begins to hit us and fear begins to overwhelm us. Just like we see Elijah says he, he was terrified and afraid. And we start, to, we start to lose our grasp on what the Lord's doing. We start to lose our understanding of where we're going. And I just want to point out a few things that happen here. I want to look at Elijah's process and response to Jezebel's threats. Scripture says he goes to Beersheba. It's, I think it's an important idea for us to understand the significance of him going to Beersheba. The word Beersheba means the place of oath or the well of oath. It's this idea of the place where we make covenant, the place where we align ourselves with the, with the Lord. I would say it's significant of the secret place. It's the place where we commune with him, where we have intimacy with him, where we hear his voice. I would suggest that what what Elijah does here becomes the model, the process for us when we're in the presence of fear. That the first place fear should drive us to, the first place difficulty should drive us to, the first place seasons in life that are hard should drive us to is back to the place of oath. Back to the secret place. But all too often when we face fear, we do the opposite. We begin to give in to fear. We begin to pay attention to what fear says instead of allowing the Lord to whisper over the fear. And there's a lot of things we could drag out of this story that are really fantastic. One of them being the way the Lord chooses to speak to him. It is the way he always wants to speak to us. It's never through the wind or the fire or the earthquake. Those are all circumstances that get our attention. That is not how he speaks. His preferred method of speaking is to whisper directly to us. It's to speak to us. I would go this far and say, the only way to combat fear is by hearing the voice of God. Therefore, the only way to live a life that's not governed by fear is to develop a place of encounter so you can hear his voice when fear comes. There's three things that happen for Elijah Elijah when he's in this place. I think they're, they're, they're the three promises of the secret place is the way I would phrase them. The first one, is Elijah is in both invited and allowed an emotional process. See, all too often we want our emotional process to be with people when the safest and healthiest place is to have it be with him. The Lord just lets him pour it out, whine, snivel, cry, woe is me, I'm the only one left. The Lord never rebukes him and says, you're an idiot, stop talking. He just lets him process. And church, I'd love to just put in front of us, in the presence of fear, in the presence of difficulty, there's things that we have to process to be healthy, but it's him that we have to process them with. But all too often, we haven't developed a place of encounter. We haven't developed that intimacy where we can go into that place and begin to pour our hearts out and know how to hear his voice. And because we don't know how to hear his voice, we don't get our process because we can't hear his response. Does that make sense? The second promise of the secret place that I see here is one that 
could be taken vastly out of context. But I want you to notice that the Lord brings provision to Elijah in the secret place. That all too often we believe that our, our pursuit of provision is ours. I would love to say your pursuit of provision is yours and his, and he wants to be in that journey with you. In fact, I think in my life, I would say the greatest lessons I've learned from him have been in my business life. And when we learn how to go with the pressures of the outside world and they drive us back to the secret place, then we're in a, in a place where our posture's correct to begin to receive his provision. And here's what I'd love to give you. I promise you, if you develop a life in the secret place, he will provide for you. The third thing that I see that happens is vital for us to see. is Elijah receives new marching orders at the place of the oath. The Lord gives him his next task. One of the greatest concerns I have is because as a nation we have failed to be a people of the secret place, we also don't know how to live into vision because we're not hearing it. Proverbs will say it this way. Without vision, people cast off restraint. Let me put it in a different paraphrase. When we don't hear God, we do dumb stuff. We start to chase the wrong things. We start to believe the wrong things. We start to pursue the wrong things. You're going to face fear in life, that I can promise you. You're gonna face difficulty in life, that I can promise you. You're gonna face situations that unnerve you, I can promise you that. What I can't promise you is how you'll respond. Only you can do that. My question is, will it drive you to the secret place? Will it drive you to the place of the oath so you can begin to hear from him? That's the macro study of how do we deal with fear. But there's a micro study. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Psalm 34. This is in the moment. When fear happens, how do you respond immediately? Because how many of you know that when you're driving down the freeway and you get that phone call and fear hits, you can't exactly like, you know, pull over and go into the secret place. You can't get away with the Lord that way. Psalm 34 begins with really what I believe is the most important idea for us to learn how to live. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak his praise. I will boast only in the Lord. So let all who are discouraged take heart. So here's the question. When you're in the midst of fear, how do you take heart? You praise him. The next verse says, so come, let's tell the Lord's greatness. Let's exalt his name together. Catch this in verse four. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me, freeing me from all my fears. There it is. The immediate response is, I turn towards him. I begin to declare his goodness. I begin to declare his character. I begin to declare his worth. And then I turn my, into my heart and say, all right, Lord, 
I need you to fix this. We are not meant to carry fear with us. We're not meant to let it overwhelm us. We're not meant to be a people that have, are riddled with it. We have been given tutorials of how to respond to it. The response to fear has to be the declaration of praise. You say, how do I praise God in the midst of being afraid? Because praise is about his worth, not our circumstance. The declaration of worship is about who he is, not what we're going through. It's not about how I feel about myself. I mean, Elijah says right here, I just feel like I'm, I just follow the footsteps of my parents and I'm a failure. He lays it out there before the Lord. We see his whole pursuit right there. I was striving so hard to be a better person than my parents were. Look at me, Lord, I'm just like them. Anyone ever felt like that in their lifetime? Stop looking at what you're not and begin to look at what he is. You will never get out of your situation by looking at what you're not. You will only get out of your situation by looking at who he is. What's that? Never look down. <laughs> never look down. Naval gazing helps no one. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me, freeing me from all my fears. I want you to claim that. Declare it over your life. Your promise, Lord, when I turn to you is you will free me of my fears. So I'm giving you my fears. I'm asking you to take them away. But I want to keep reading for a second. Those, to look to, those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. What does that mean? He will not fail you. I understand that trusting the Lord sometimes feels ridiculously stupid. Let that sink in for a second. It does. We have to admit that. Following his plan at times feels ridiculous. It feels so counterintuitive to everything we are. He will, he will call for things, ask for things, and we're like, there's no way I heard you. We have to understand that's part of this system. But I want you to understand the promise of Scripture. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. Radiant with joy is an indication of what? Something fantastic happened. I want you to stand on this promise. If you put your hope in him, he will not fail you. Your victory on the other side will be about what he did for you. That is to be your song. It's always been to be the people of God's song, is to be able to declare on the other side of their circumstance what he did. To be able to have this thing that says, look what the Lord has done. Your entire life is to be spent in worship. I'm either declaring him for what he's done or, and honoring him for what he's done and I'm declaring his worth about what he's done or I'm declaring his worth and honoring him for what he's gonna do. Those are my two options. And the moment I let those things go, the moment I stop becoming this exuberant worshiper who's put my hope and my trust in him, my circumstances will overwhelm me. If you feel like you're drowning in life, start praising. Set your attention on the things of heaven, not the things of earth. You're like, this is so ridiculous. This is like a self-help class. It is. <laughs> he has given us the weapons for breakthrough. 
I cried out to the Lord in my suffering. Some of you are going through stuff you've got to cry out. You cannot ask people to cry out for you. You have to cry out. Your father will respond to your cry. If you don't have the courage to cry out, stop asking other people to do it. When you have the courage to cry out, invite the world to cry out with you. Just say, hey, I'm crying out, this is my hope. I'm setting my affections on him. I'm setting my attention on him. Will you join me? Because I know if one of us prays, it does stuff, but if two of us pray, it really does stuff. But do not ask somebody to pray and cry out for what you're not willing to cry out for. I love this. I cried out to the Lord in my suffering and he heard me. He set me free from all my fears. For the angel of the Lord guards all who fear him and rescues them. Do you see this interplay, these two words? One fear is to be terrified, the other fear is reverence. The Lord will free you from your fear and invite you to fear. The fear of the Lord is living the path of God. Those who stay on the right path fear the Lord. If you are partnering with sin willingly, knowingly, you're not living in the fear of the Lord. And when you're not living in the fear of the Lord, you have no ability to cry out for him to rescue you from your fear. Because you're living in the antithesis of his system. You're declaring to heaven, I don't want your help. I don't need you to rescue me from my fear. I've got it on my own. The doorway to the kingdom of God is the fear of the Lord. When we are militant about forcing ourselves to come in alignment with his fear, in alignment with the scriptures, in alignment with the behavioral patterns, the way he's told us to live, it opens the gateway for him. And I want you to see what happens next. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You wanna taste the goodness of the Lord? Step into the fear of the Lord. You wanna live a life free of fear? Step into the fear of the Lord. All right, let's stand. I hope it made sense. I couldn't repeat it twice if I tried. Father, we love you, we honor you. In the face of fear, we trust you. Lord, I know when we teach something like this, it's like giving out the all call to bring difficulty. So in the midst of difficulty, would you teach us this path of Elijah to go back to the place of oath? And would you raise up in us a people who fear you so we can be fearless? We honor you, we bless you. May your face shine upon us this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time with us. We would love to have you join us at a live gathering on Sunday. Our address is 1501 Academy Court, and it's just off of Prospect Road in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, please go to vintagecitychurch.com, and we'll see you next time.